And the fact of the matter is all of this stress stuff, when we look at all of this, it's nobody else's job. It's nobody else's job to come in. It's not my department's job to come in and deal with my stress level. Welcome to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we give you real tools to train ultimate humor performance, both on and off the emergency scene. I'm your host, Kevin Housley. Let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody, to episode seven of the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we empower emergency responders to master stress resilience, foster a fulfilling career, and enrich your personal life. I want to start off with an unpaid advertisement for the Terry Farrell Firefighters Fund Charity Ball, which is happening in Loveland, Colorado, February 3rd, 2024. Always a great event, a charity that's near and dear to my heart and our heart here at, at Firefighter Craftsmanship. Um, you can check out all the details. There are still tickets available, sponsorship opportunities as well. Um, this event basically funds the Terry Fund of Colorado's entire year um, in addition to the funds that are raised at the Mile High Firefighter Conference. So great event. Bring a date. Come have a great time. Support a great cause. Support Colorado firefighters and their families. You can register at terryfundco.org. That's terryfundco. Org and get your table. We'll see you there. So today's topic is your stress is affecting those around you. And we're basically specifically talking to you, supervisors, company officers, and above. Now we're going to dive back into the series of articles that um, related to the recent Fire Rescue One survey about what firefighters wanted in 2023. And the data used in this episode is specifically targeted those of you in a formal leadership position. However, these concepts apply to everyone that shows up every day because you're all formal and informal leaders, whether you want to be or not. So we're gonna expand upon some of the research that we talked about in episode five of the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast. So if you haven't heard that one, it's titled What Firefighters Wanted in 2023. Go back and check it out. You can access that episode through your favorite podcast player or of course, through the show notes links. So as a review, the Fire Rescue One, What Firefighters Wanted in 2023 survey captured close to 2,200 firefighters across the country, and this covered all ranks. The highest number of firefighters that responded was at the company officer level, with 29% of respondents being at that rank. 63% of the respondents were at the company officer level or above. So a significant majority of the people that answered this out of the 2,200 firefighters that responded to that survey were at the company officer level above. And 86% of those 2,200 people um, had at least 10 years on the job. So just kind of keep that in mind as we kind of dive into some of these numbers and these statistics and figure out, hey, we're talking about the senior members, the mid, mid-range members, but also the senior members of our fire departments um, and I have a feeling even if you're not in the fire service at this, these numbers probably apply to your organization if you're in emergency services. And they might be even worse based on what sort of climate and culture you might have. So when we look at the data uh, set that we're looking at today, that's a huge chunk of people with 86% of them having 10 plus years on the job. They're definitely formal leaders, and they're definitely people that have influence and power um, within their organizations with regardless of whatever rank they hold. If they're a backseat firefighter, 
Um, you know, hopefully most of these people that are responding to this are obviously engaged in the job enough to respond to this survey. They're checking out new resources. They're out there trying to grow themselves and things like that. So we're going to call a high percentage of these folks that responded to this, uh, at the very least, are informal leaders. Links to the full research and full articles uh, available from Fire Rescue One are going to be linked in the show notes. So go check them out. They're absolutely worth the 20 to 30 minutes of time that it takes to read these four different articles that they put out. So as a quick reminder, the opinions expressed on the Firefighter Craftsmanship podcast belong to those who are speaking and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the organization with whom they work. All right, so let's get into the meat of the convo. And today, that is the fact that as a formal leader, your stress level has an impact on those around you. It has an impact on those around you at home, and we've all probably experienced that. And it has an impact on those of you at work as well. So we've all probably been on some sort of emergency scene where that first in officer, whether they're an acting officer or a formally promoted officer, got on the radio and the on-scene report didn't necessarily go great. Not necessarily that they didn't know what to do strategy and tactics wise, but their delivery of the message that they were trying to convey maybe came out as a yelling on the radio sort of scenario. And unfortunately, most of us have probably heard that. And so you compare something like that where you have a a screamer on the radio for that on-scene report or during the incident where they just are always screaming when they key up the mic versus an officer who gets on scene and they're calm, cool, and collected, regardless if they really know what to do or not. They're calm, cool, and collected. It appears like they know what to do, but they're just working the problem. They're working what's important now. And how do I solve what's in front of me and just chunk away at it in small parts and pieces in a calm, cool, collected fashion? And if you think about that, like over your careers, when you hear a screamer on the radio, does it impart stress on everybody else on the scene? And the answer is simply yes, it does. And most of those people that are coming to the scene or maybe already on scene aren't on that person's crew. So that stress of that initial commander by screaming on the radio, that stress is impacting everybody else coming into it. So we have tons and tons of examples, all personally and professionally, of where stress affected our overall output and effectiveness. So when we keep that in mind and we look at this article titled The Far-Reaching Impact of Angst, and it was written by Linda Willing, uh, and again, from Fire Rescue One, And we start to dive into data points like 31% of the 2,200 respondents reported that their supervisor does not handle stress well. 53% of them said their supervisor's stress level impacts the general well-being of other members on the crew. And 51% of them said it directly affects their stress level. So as the formal leader, you have the responsibility and the job title of really setting the tone. And if you come to work and you're all stressed out or things at your work affect you um, pretty consistently and you're really, really stressed out from that, then that is having an effect on those around you. And that's not surprising. That's how we as humans work. And that's why a lot of us actually got into the fire service in the beginning is because of the stress levels of the job. When those tones go off, it it creates an acute stress response. And this stress response can increase or decrease based on what kind of call we're getting dispatched to. So if it's a lift assist, we might have a relatively quick normalization of that stress response. 
But if it's a working structure fire where we can see a header as we pull out of the bay doors, that's going to elicit a different type of stress response that's going to be a little bit greater and potentially longer lasting um, than a lift assist 911 call. So as we continue to dive into this data, I, I want us to consider as leaders in the fire service, what are we doing to empower ourselves? What are we doing in, to empower those around us? And what are we doing to empower our organizations to effectively deal with the stressors that we face? And when you see numbers like this, where you have 53% of people saying that their supervisor's stress level affects members of the crew, it looks like we're not doing a great job of helping people have tools to mitigate stress and longstanding stress and chronic stress has creeped in and has taken a pretty good hold of everything that we're doing in emergency services. And we see that as we look at retention numbers and things like that. Do we have the tools that we're providing to our people internally, externally, in the firehouse, um, in, at the crew level, at the battalion level, at the department level? that they're able to deal with these acute stressors that are turning into chronic stressors and they're creating things like hypervigilance. And, um, you know, again, another stat that they found in this Fire Rescue One survey was 42% of the 2,200 people are, are considering leaving the fire service altogether. And again, 86% of the people that responded to this had more than 10 years on the job. So once again, if we have a fraction of that 42%, leave the fire service altogether. That's our senior members that are walking out the door and they're taking all of their knowledge and experience and their customer service ability and their strategy and tactics and all of that stuff with them. So this is a very, very serious problem that we need to address. It's not necessarily recruiting newest members. It's figuring out how do we retain and provide our people that are longstanding members with tools to be happy, healthy, and strong. All right, so let's figure out some solutions. Enough with the Oh, it's all doom and gloom because it's not. This is still a great job. Most of us really enjoy what we do. There's always things that we can make better. Um, and, you know, there's not enough data out there, especially from Fire Rescue One specifically. This is only the second year they've conducted this study to know if these numbers have been this way forever. All we have is a current snapshot in time survey. So this article kind of goes into some ways to train around this or some, some tools to provide. To, to your people, your crew members, to yourself. But in my opinion, there were some pretty big gaping holes that actually um, didn't even come close to addressing the problem at hand. One of those was there was no mention about stress training, resilience training, physiological or psychological implications of stress. You don't all need to be psychologists is what the article did state. And I would agree with that. But as supervisors and as we, as we gain more rank in our departments or we have more influence in our departments, we should be receiving training on, hey, what are the long-term effects of this and what are the effects of stress on me as a senior member that I'm having on the junior members and I'm imparting upon them? And how do I provide them with tools where they can maybe not experience the same levels of stress that I have over my career? So I think an, an easy way for us to start to deal with this is at the, the personal level first, like take a good snapshot. What is your current stress level? Write them down. What are the big things that are stressing you out? Writing things down on paper sometimes takes the sting out of them. And it also allows you to really critically look at them from a detached perspective and say, hey, all right, yes, this is, this is happening. I'm not denying that it's not happening. 
But what are some ways that I can work on chunking away at this thing and maybe turning this into a positive scenario versus a consistent negative scenario? We also need to develop crew cultures that talk about stress and we need positive relationships within our crews that are healthy. And this does by actually talking to your people and talking to your circle of influence and the people that you you hold as that, that inner circle of people that you trust and you can bounce ideas off and they'll call you when you're full of crap. And they can be that sounding board and that fact checker for you along the way. And I know instantly you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that's our crew. That's, that's oh yeah, we have that, we have that culture. But the data from this survey says you might not actually be doing that. Or the people that are working with you, especially if you are a supervisor, the people that are under your charge, they might not actually be perceiving that as a positive place at all. Only 35% of the respondents stated that their supervisor acknowledges their stress level at all. 34% said my supervisor actively works to reduce the stress level of other members. So I'm not sure we're doing a great job of this and we have one third of the respondents saying, yeah, they're doing a pretty good job of that. Where two thirds are saying, no, that's actually probably not happening. So we need to start having those conversations at the firehouse level, at the crew level, um, at the partner level, depending on what your scenario looks like and what role in emergency services you play. We also need cultures that challenge our ideals around failure. And you've if you've taken one of our classes, you've heard us talk a lot about failure and approach to failure and mindsets towards failure. Um, we need to really, really talk about that. What does failure look like? And when is failure okay? Um, when is failure not necessarily okay? And how do we overcome those issues? Because really the reality on a lot of emergency scenes is we just kind of fail forward. We're walking into a problem that we don't really have a good handle on. It's only as good as what that 911 caller is telling the dispatcher and then the dispatcher is able to communicate back to us. But we really don't know what we have until we get there. And now you have to unpack all of that stuff. And that's one of the very unique things about emergency services compared to like sport, especially when I look at this from a psychological lens. It's really, really hard for us to um, put, put emergency services in a nice contained box. We don't know when game time is going to be. We don't know how big the field is going to be. We don't necessarily know what the opponent looks like because every single call is different. Yeah, it might still be a 911 dispatch for a fire call or a cardiac arrest, but each one has its own intricacies that make it exponentially different from the last one that we ran. So having a positive relationship with failure and building cultures around where we can talk about failure, define failure, what does failure mean? And we don't just shy away from failure or act like um, our poop doesn't stink and we never, ever fail. Um, we need to have these cultures that are a positive force. And they actually, by having a culture like that, you're going to decrease pretty significant amounts of stress. We need cultures that empower all members to step up and take the lead on projects or even on call types that they are more aptly suited to handle. So that good old crew, crew resource management. So I remember when I got promoted and I was a, a newly promoted officer and I got assigned to a hazmat rig. And of course, the very first night we ran a hazmat call and I had hazmat operations level training. I was always the guy that's like, oh, I'm not going to go to hazmat. Um, uh, yeah, that's just not what I really want to do. Um, 
I'll do these certification classes that I have to, hazmat ops and things like that, but hazmat is not really where I want to go. Well, night one, of course, get dispatched to a hazmat call. And luckily I had a a junior firefighter who was a hazmat tech. And I turned around as we were responding to this call and I said, hey, when we get there, you're going to be in charge. Let me know what I need to do. And we had kind of talked about this before, but since this was the first day, um, we hadn't really unpacked what that might actually look like. And so he was the best person on the crew to run that call and to set it up. Um, And we have to use our people to do that. And so if you get assigned a project at work, that's really data driven and you got to build all these Excel spreadsheets and stuff like that. And that's not your jam. There's probably somebody in your fire department that it is their jam and they want to help you. So start to build these relationships and figure out who can help me accomplish these goals and who can do it because they actually really, really like to do those things. Um, Not so I don't have to do it necessarily, but it's an opportunity for me to grow, but it's also an opportunity for them to make a positive impact on the organization and to develop positive relationships with our internal and our external customer. Just because the supervisor got promoted, whether it was a field promotion or they took an assessment center, regardless of the rank that they're promoted at, it doesn't mean that they're actually the expert in all things. I'll even include leadership in that. I don't care how many bugles you have on your collar or how many bugles I have on my collar. It doesn't mean that I'm instantly an expert in all things strategy and tactics, all things tech rescue, all things firefighting, all things EMS, emergency response, um, or leadership. It's just, it's insane for us to think that. But when we look at our training protocols and our, our training that is developed and delivered, who's typically providing the leadership training? Is it a junior member or is it a senior member who is just maybe they're dialed in at leadership, but maybe they just have to do that because of whatever rank they've obtained. So I think systemically, like from the fire service specifically, we need to look at how are we delivering trainings and who's actually running those things. And those people that are running them, are they running them because they're actually the correct people to have running them or just because they've been here the longest and they've, they've seen some stuff on the street, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're a great instructor, a great coach, um, or a great person to be delivering the content. We need cultures that are focused on effectiveness and not just efficiency. We definitely need to be efficient and we need to be effective. But if we're just focused on efficiency only, then we're probably not effective. There's a great quote out there from Peter Drucker. Efficiency is doing the right things. Effectiveness is doing things right. And I think right now we're so focused on doing everything with limited amounts of resources with some of our departments, more and more limited resources every single year, especially if we have a retention problem, that we really need to hone in on what is effective and efficient, but effectiveness needs to be the first, the first thing that we're looking at. So personally, professionally, you got to start to let some things go to start to figure out some other people that maybe can help take some of the workload off where it's within their working, as Pat Lencioni would call it, their working genius. So things that people are like, hey, this really kind of lights me up. I really enjoy doing this thing. Like find those people to help you out. Um, and that, incre- that increases effectiveness and it also increases efficiency when we do that. 
we're building really, really solid quality, healthy teams. And when we have good, solid quality, healthy teams, we're probably having good, solid quality, healthy conversations. And we start to figure out who are the people that work around us? What makes them tick? What are the things that they're dealing with? And so you can start to read their body language when they walk in the firehouse of like, oh man, today, old Joe there, he's having a rough day. I'm going to figure out what's up and figure out how I can help. And maybe Joe doesn't want to talk about it, but hey, today we're going to try to pick up Joe and we're going to help him out. Uh, And maybe tomorrow he's still having a rough day and we're going to just, we're going to be here to support him and figure that out. But we're going to have some good formal conversations, especially if you are a promoted leader of, hey man, I can tell you're a little bit off today. Um, you've been off maybe the whole week or this whole month, like, Hey, what can I do to help you? Something that simple might be a very, very dramatic thing in their life. And it might actually lead to some really good positive change for them as people. We also need to focus on building our circles and spheres of influence. You got to, you have to work on relationships. And so we have to work on relationships at home and we have to work on relationships at work. And we need to focus on positive relationships and maybe letting those toxic relationships go. But if you don't have a good sphere of influence of people that you can talk to and and you have a good sounding board for those people, reach out and find some. Um, We are happy to help you uh, along the way and we can create groups and things like that if you're having a hard time finding somebody that you can use as a sounding board. But find some people that are both in emergency services and not in emergency services to help you kind of grow as a person and intentionally work on those relationships. So as we kick off this year, 2024, it's a great time for us to look at, hey, what are the relationships that I value? And what are the things that I'm willing to do to actually prove that those relationships are valuable to me? So if it's for me, you know, hey, I want to go camping with my kids. All right, well, now is probably a great time for me to calendar out some non-negotiable dates. We're going to go camping as you know, a dad kid trip or as a family or whatever that looks like for your situation um, and put those things on the calendar now. But how much do you actually want to grow those relationships with your kids, with your spouse, with your partner, um, with your friend groups, all of those sorts of things. And then you have to diligently work on performing those actions that are going to grow those relationships. They're not going to just happen by accident. And the fact of the matter is all of this stress stuff, when we look at all of this, it's nobody else's job. It's nobody else's job to come in. It's not my department's job to come in and deal with my stress level. You know, tools and resources and things like that are great, but it's ultimately up to me personally to deal with that. But then it's also ultimately up to me personally to create cultures around um, in my situation as a company officer to create the firehouse culture that we want to have and to create resources where we have these spheres of influence and circles of influence in the firehouse as well. And we provide the junior members with some great tools and great healthy, positive environments where they are empowered to have long, healthy careers for as long as they choose to do so. And one thing that this article specifically talks about is EAP and peer support again. And I'm not really entirely sure that I agree with the whole thing of saying, well, you know, resources are available. It's EAP or peer support. I'm not sure that that's the role. That's not how I interpret the role of EAP or peer support is to deal with, um, you know, acute stressors along the way and things like that. Yeah. They're a great resource for us to use to get rid of some stuff. Um, but that's not what EAP is really designed for. And so once again, we got to go back to 
organizationally, what are we doing? What kind of tools are we providing our people to build stress resilience before they need it? How are we doing that pre-resilience style of training? Do we have these conversations on a consistent basis at an organizational level of, man, what's the pulse of the organization? What's the temperature of the room right now? What are the things that people are concerned about? And how do we address that? Another way for us to address this is through dedicated training and making sure that we're not ignoring the supervisors in the dedicated training. So strategy and tactics when we're running fire ground scenarios or EMS scenarios or whatever, make sure we're not just ignoring the company officer or above role in those call types. Make sure that you're not ignoring your senior members and you're pushing them to get better and you're allowing them to stretch and fail and grow and provide input and say, hey, that training was okay, but that's not actually what we need. We need this over here that we've been asking for. And you really got to listen to your folks to do that. We also need to make sure that we're training our supervisors, our company officers and above, and our acting officers um, on psychological um, cues and things to watch out for and to really, really kind of go into a leadership style training of, hey, when you're stressed out, even if you're trying to hide it really, really well, you got some some bad stuff going on at home, you're trying to come into work and hide it, it is affecting your people. And so now here's some resources that we have for you that are available in this situation. Um, or, hey, you're on a really busy engine company and you're a senior member and it's you're having a really hard time sleeping both at work because you're running 911 calls, but then you go home and you're having a really hard time falling asleep at home and staying asleep at home. All right, well, here's some other resources here and things that the department can provide. And not all of this stuff has to be a massive financial implication for the department itself. So for a junior member, you know, we understand as the senior members, you're, you're stressed and we remember that stress too. And that's probably why sometimes we're not asking you about it. It's because we're like, well, I went through that. So yeah, of course you're going through that too. But it doesn't mean that the stress isn't any more real for you. And so just realize, yes, stress for you is, is normal. Um, you get to decide how much stress is appropriate and applicable for you, how long you want to put up with that stress, um, what is tolerable and what is not tolerable. That is 100% up to you. That's not up to your organizations or your company officer or your crews or anything like that. That's up to you personally. And take, take ownership of that, but then also realize like, hey, your company officer and above, they have the stress that they had at your level, but now they have other stress because of their job title and their job group, all the way up to the chief of department. And we talked about this last podcast with Chief West of, you know, why are white shirts getting bashed? And he he made a great example there of, well, you know, uh, consistently see white shirts bashing the junior members as well. And this has been over his 42 year career. He's seen that same rhetoric continue and continue. So I think if we can create relationships and cultures around what does stress look like? What sort of things are we asking our people to do? Are we asking our people to do too much? And we just keep piling more and more and more on top of it versus figuring out how to be more effective first off and then more efficient. Let's let, maybe we should change the narrative a little bit around that. All right. So as we wrap up again, all the resources and data points and the fire rescue one links will all be in the show notes here. We really appreciate the massive amount of support that we've had so far. Please continue to rate, review, follow the show. Um, we really, really appreciate all of you that have shared the show um, with people that you found or thought would get some value from it. So please continue to share that. That's the only way this thing can grow. 
And so if you've done that, I just personally want to say thank you for that. We're coming up on our first thousand downloads, which is a pretty cool benchmark for us. Um, so please continue to, to rate, review, and share this thing organically. We really, really appreciate the support. So once again, hope to see you at the Terry Fun Ball in Colorado if you're around that area, February 3rd, 2024. You go to terryfunco.org for all the information and to buy tickets or a table for that event. So keep pushing out there, build those circles, build those spheres of influence. Reach out to us. We're happy to help as we can. Um, we have lots of training available at firefightercraftsmanship.com. Smash on that follow button so you never miss a weekly podcast release. These things will drop every single Wednesday. And stay smart. Thank you for listening to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we give you real tools to train ultimate human performance both on and off the emergency scene. You can find more information on our webpage at firefightercraftsmanship.com, including all the classes that we offer, and there's plenty of free resources and training on the site as well. Reach out to us on social media, including Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to have a conversation and figure out how we can help you achieve your goals. Stay smart. Stay smart.